0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Weems Podcast. We're so glad to have you listening in today. Before Carrie joins us in today's episode, we want to remind you that the best way to keep up with all the latest content being released by Carrie is to follow her on social media. She's on Instagram and Twitter, so follow her at Carrie Weems, and you can also find her on Facebook as well. And even comment to let us know how much you're enjoying the podcast and the teaching that Carrie has been bringing to all of us. And don't forget, you can always visit carrieweems.com to learn more about her and to see a full list of the books, curriculums, and resources that she has recently released. Thanks again for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy today's podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for joining me again for the Carrie Weems podcast. I'm really excited to be continuing our series on emotional intelligence. So, you know, a, a lot of people are talking about today, and I, the reason I'm hammering some, I mean, talking so much about men is because our church right now is having a, a really amazing movement mm-hmm. amongst the men and um, and for some women, it's actually difficult to understand, especially if they've had um, experienced hurt at the hands of men or if they have felt betrayed by men. Um, it's almost, I've, I've talked to several women who almost see it as they're a little bit fearful of it, mm-hmm. you know, because, oh, what if men really do get empowered? What if they get stronger, are they gonna use that strength to hurt me or to oppress me? Because they have that wound on their soul collectively right. of men using their power and strength to oppress or to harm. And so, um, But one of the things that I think we do have to dismantle, in my opinion, for men is what's been called the toxic male culture, which essentially is what you were talking about, the socialization of men that makes feeling emotions like fear or even sometimes compassion or any kind of thing that would seem soft in any way, um, not manly. So what kind of impact would that have if you're on your son, let's say, that that 12-year-old boy, how could that impact his future relationships if he's not able to express
2: that? Well, he carries that hurt.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And
2: then when, when, in that relationship with, with, with females, with women down the road, you know, things are gonna happen that he's gonna feel hurt by. Yeah. He's gonna feel criticism, he's gonna feel rejection. And it's gonna be a similar pain mm-hmm. emotionally. Yeah. And so then he's gonna react to that because he doesn't make, he hasn't disconnected that. Yes. And so then he's gonna have to either show himself weak
1: mm-hmm.
3: by
2: revealing that pain, or he's gonna to have to give him, put up this, this warrior mentality. Yeah. This 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 front that I'm invincible and I'm tough and nothing hurts me.
1: And has to show possibly show her through stoicism or withdrawal or right. maybe even some very strong words that right. no, I'm not weak.
2: And he's never been given the opportunity to, igni- to and for someone to affirm the fact that what he experienced was was very normal.
1: Yeah, not womanly, not feminine, but Absolutely. human. Absolutely, right. You know, right. so much of what we characterize as feminine is really just human. Right. But it's because it is
2: vulnerable. And, and so many guys are told, if you if you express your emotion, you're going to be you're going to be viewed as feminine. Yeah. And 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 that that's obviously a, a, a social and a stigma that, that that men don't want to have.
1: Yeah. And don't you like? I feel like redeemed manhood, the way that God can, the Holy Spirit can redeem men, is by helping them to understand that that's not feminine, to experience mm-hmm. emotions and that to help them understand that it's human. It's actually just human.
2: <laughs> we look at the person of Christ.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He was obviously a perfect man because he was God in the form of, in, in flesh, mm-hmm. but he modeled for us every feeling that a man could have. Yeah. He was angry. He was powerful. He was gentle. He was tender. He was compassionate. He even wept and He didn't apologize for it. Yeah. And so if we're gonna, you know, that's the perfect example of what it means mm-hmm. to be a, a whole man.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's a very good, I think we overlook the emotional aspect of Jesus, mm-hmm. but nothing's in the Bible by accident.
2: Right, You right. know, all
1: of those are meant to, if you can look for those details, it's really empowering and I think, Um, For some of those women that are a little bit nervous about, oh, you know, what is this going to mean for women? Are they going to start being oppressed again? It's not that. We're not going to be at full strength as a body until the women and the men are operating at full strength. So I love seeing it.
2: And part of that that reaction of the woman in that point of view is the fact that they're responding to an abusive, I'm going to use that word Mm -hmm. in a general sense, a controlling, domineering man that's that's acting in a in authority and power and, and very disrespectfully,
3: yeah.
2: As opposed to what what a, a Christ-like man mm-hmm. who does lead and and demonstrates competence and confidence and courage.
1: Yes, and concern that, for her. Right.
2: That would that would that would really be loving his wife as Christ loved the church.
1: Yes, exactly. And you talked about how men often what they tend to stuff their emotions or don't allow themselves to to feel that, and as a woman, that was, like I said, that was sort of the side that I leaned onto, a little bit more stoic, and by nature, I'm not quite as emotional, um, I think, as, as, like, if you were to take, like, a bell curve and find a norm, I mm-hmm. might, I would be on the less emotional side, and that's really not acceptable for women. Sure, to absolutely. To appear, appear more cerebral, and a little bit more reserved, and right. non-emotive, and sometimes even, you could have empathy, but it isn't expressed emotionally, right. and um, that's something that you can definitely learn to mirror to people, and right. that's a skill I've learned. Um, but that was hard for me. Sure. To feel like um, I was constantly failing to meet people's expectations of what femininity is. Right. You know?
2: And, and how we manage our emotions has, have, has, have, has, whatever the verb is there, mm-hmm. um, relational impact. Yes. Because the, the, the big tension or the big dynamic between people, whether it's a husband and wife, or whether it's work part, is mm-hmm. a distance or a, a management of how close or distant we feel. Mm-hmm. And how we manage our emotions allows us to connect Mm -hmm. or to create distance. So we use our emotions in ways that push others away Mm
1: -hmm.
2: or that may try to draw them in or connect with them Mm -hmm. or in some ways they may even appear to be clingy.
1: Yes. Or Mm -hmm.
2: rejecting, you know, so it becomes a real, and our emotions are ways we control our, our connections.
1: Wow, that is so, and that, that resonates with me because um, I'm, I'm going to have a personal counseling session if it's okay with all of you on this. No, I love the fact that, that it really explains because um, by the fact that I was, I felt a little bit like, not rejected, but a little bit on the edges of mm-hmm. what I would consider the typical fe- female community. And I think a lot of female leaders feel this because I think many times they do tend to be, I wouldn't say less emotional, but they have the skill of stepping back. They've learned the skill of stepping back from their emotions and um, maybe not letting them color their decisions and interactions so much, and it can be perceived as cold. Right. But really, sure. it's, it can be—it's actually out of strategy and just trying to make a good decision. Um, but I think a lot of female leaders deal with that sense of being on the outskirts mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. The, the female community, and you do tend to experience a little bit of—you're not, not not disconnectedness. I sure. think that's—it's not that yeah. you're not welcome. You you have a little bit more difficulty. Bridging that gap, and so um, one of the things that I did was I did start to sort of shut down, so I wouldn't mm-hmm. experience that negative pain. But I had some really unexpected negative consequences right. um, because of that. So, what are in your experience? You know, is that true that you can have some negative consequences that are maybe are unexpected from shutting down your emotions? And what what would some of those be?
2: Absolutely. Before I answer that, can I come back to the other piece? Yeah. And in that sense, that that when when we experience that piece, there's a difference between creating a healthy distance
3: mm-hmm.
2: to protect and to to manage get a good balance yes. and, and cutting ourselves off yes cut off and just shutting our emotions down is unhealthy yes but finding a way where I can say okay I can see where they're at I can see where I'm at and differentiating myself
3: mm-hmm.
2: but still being related to them yes and not being. Allowing their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors to control my thoughts, feelings, and behaviors yeah. is a healthy place. And
1: not being so much so black or white about it. Absolutely. You can still be connected with people but maintain professional boundaries. Right. And personal boundaries.
2: And so I'm still in relationship with you, but I'm distinct from you. Yes. Instead of being enmeshed, yes. I'm distinct.
1: Yes. And my, that's going to lead up to one of my other questions. About...
2: Well, let me go back to answer the question yeah. you just asked <laughs> I about. I have so many
1: questions. I'm just.
2: Like... Yeah, I, could you restate it again for me? Yes. I'm sorry.
1: What are some of the unexpected negative consequences that we might experience from stuffing our emotions?
2: Well, I think it has an impact on our physical health Mm -hmm. because so much of the stuff we struggle with physically does have uh, an emotional component to it. You know, heart disease and Mm -hmm. and so many things from just over, from high anxiety or Mm -hmm. depression and stuff like that. I think it has an impact on our spiritual health. Yeah. So when, when, when we're experiencing emotional meltdown, or shut down, it distances us from our Heavenly Father. Or we wonder where He's at. We wonder if He's actively involved in our lives, yeah, and so it good. fosters a sense of spiritual spiritual insecurity. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: It has relational impact. So if I'm, you know, and as I mentioned before, it has a matter of how we deal with our connection and our, our, our distancing from the people that are important to us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so it, it impacts how we interact in our, in our work worlds and in our, in, in everything.
1: And I always, I think one of the things for me is I always, I always said, well, you know, I don't ever feel really sad, but I also never feel really happy. And when I learned to deal with my more negative emotions and stop avoiding them, I also noticed that I felt happier when I felt happier.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And mm-hmm. so I, I guess what I guess um, I, I guess I just realized that you can't selectively experience emotions. When All the time when I was stuffing my pain or avoiding painful emotions, I was also shutting myself off to positive.
2: Right, and so then we emotions. get to a state of numbness. Yes. Where we we have a very limited range of being able to feel. Yes. Because we can't feel positive, but we certainly can't allow the negative to feel, so it just it constricts us. Do
1: you think that can lead to depression? Oh, absolutely. Because that, that's how I would have described when I, when I dealt with depression, the overriding feeling was one of numbness. Mm -hmm. That was, it Mm -hmm. wasn't that I was necessarily sad. I was just, didn't feel anything.
2: Right. Exactly. And um,
1: a big part of that was facing the painful emotions. Right. And then when that was, when I faced those, um, I I all of a sudden could feel happy as well. (laughs) And so that really impacted me as a leader too. It helped with that sense of being, well, you can't connect with people if you can't it's very difficult to connect with people if you can't experience positive emotions. Mm-hmm. So some of the things I think I was interpreting as, "Oh, these girls don't like me because I'm not emotional enough," or, um, you know, "I'm just a female leader; people don't like female leaders." I was inter- I, that was the narrative I was telling myself. Right. When probably right. the real truth was, I wasn't giving people anything to connect to. Okay. Because sure. I, or I wasn't able to feel the connection. Perhaps people right. were trying to connect to me, but I wasn't able to feel it because I was shutting down that emotional right connecting point.
2: And, and there may have been a. a point there where you were you were feeling all those emotions but you were unable to express them and label them and define exactly. them. Exactly. And that's the challenge we have of being able to be more aware of and that is be able to stop, step back mm-hmm. and, and say, okay, give me let's let me let me okay, what am I saying to myself? Yeah. What's this conversation in my head going on?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And and what label or what description can I give to that thought or that feeling? Yes. And, and, and I think we have to distinguish between emotions and feelings.
1: That's Okay, talk about that.
2: Emotions are those inner urges that we have that are neurological, that are physiological, that are biological responses to, to, to our environment. Okay. And, and, and everybody has, the, those are the pieces that are part of our humanity.
1: And that, Those are a big part of the system that you exactly. talked about. Exactly,
2: okay. and, and they're a part of our experience but the feeling piece is the cognitive label and name and description oh, so and good. articulation of that.
3: Wow.
2: So if a gunner, if a guy came in here with a gun right now, <laughs> everybody would feel, everybody would experience the emotion of fear, panic, and threat. Yes. So then how do we label that? I was, I was, I was scared. Yeah. I, was, I was ready to jump in and, and just <laughs> jump that I felt guy. threatened. Yeah, I felt threatened. And so, it's subtle, yes. but, but the, the, the emotions are what we, what we experience. Yes, The feelings are what, how we express it and explain it and describe it.
1: And would you say that emotion, is it accurate to say that emotions often come with an instinctual, almost, reaction, that we are a little bit more instinctual and then yes. putting labels on them could help you also Absolutely. Uh, mitigate the impulse to react in a certain way?
2: The emotions are a part of our hard wiring. Yeah. Part of our brain, our neurological functions. And and in a sense, I think there is some differences between male and female, but yet there's a similarity that does mm-hmm. take place. But being able to, part of the awareness is, okay, I experienced that. What was it? How can I describe it, explain it? And what name yeah. and label can I give it, give it?
1: So to that end, how, and this is a really practical thing I think people could do, is how could people... How important is expanding your emotional vocabulary? Because I've noticed that people tend to either feel sad, mad, bad, or glad.
2: You just took the words out of my mouth. <laughs>
1: oh, gosh. Okay. That was I a, got those in a counseling session, so that probably is why. <laughs>
2: those are, are, you know, to be very simplistic, we experience... We can put a lot of emotions into the five categories. I put five. Uh-huh. Mad, bad, glad, sad, or afraid.
1: Ah, okay.
2: So if we can begin to at least put them in those five buckets... okay. That helps, and so what are synonyms? What are antonyms? Okay. What are other words we can use for? Okay, I felt scared. I felt angry. Okay, I felt, I felt PO'd. <laughs> I, I felt very, you know, what words can Aggravated, we use? Aggravated. Aggravated, annoyed, curatable. yes. Now, one of my favorites is um, the, the word frustrated. Okay. People use that word all the time. I had a conversation with a guy last week and in, in probably in 30 minutes, he used the word, or a variation of the word, I, I, I lost track 50 times. <laughs> At the End of our conversation, I, I challenged him. I said, hey, one of the words I heard in this conversation over and over, that many times becomes an, a, 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 a way of describing things that really doesn't mean a thing
3: mm-hmm.
2: is, is the word frustrated. I consider it the other F word, <laughs> and so I would, would encourage people to be able to say, okay, well, instead of saying I was frustrated or it was a frustrating situation, okay, let's put that word aside and say, okay, what was I mad? Was I annoyed? Was I was I fearful? Was I, you know, what was I?
1: Yeah, and do you feel like sometimes people don't want to use the real labels? Like I felt disrespected. I felt really disappointed. Is because they're t- sometimes talking about someone that they love. Absolutely. And they, frustrated could be more situational. Whereas when you say, I was just really disappointed, that's very personal and you don't want to say that about someone that you love.
2: Can, can, we, can we describe it in these terms of, how can we be honest yeah. with ourselves mm-hmm. and with other people? Yeah. Because when we use an, a, a euphemism, we're saying something, but we're not saying anything. Yes. We're, and, and, and to a degree, we're living in a state of denial.
1: Wow, that's so true. And if we're not, if we're living in a state of denial, then we definitely are not gonna be emotionally self-aware. And here's a question I have. Is it possible for someone to be so aware of the emotional state of other people, maybe their spouse or their children, or just a group that they're strongly involved in, that they start to become unaware of their own emotions? Mm-hmm. They just start to um, take on the emotions of the group or just kind of go along with without really stopping to think, no, what do I really think about this? How am I really feeling about this?
2: There's a word for that. And that is called enmeshment okay. and codependency.
1: Wow! Is it possible to be codependent with a group of people?
2: Absolutely. Groups can be codependent.
1: Oh man! Okay. Organizations
2: can be codependent. Wow! Because the, the same experience, relation, or the same emotional experiences that you and I have as an individual, groups experience, organizations experience
1: through the system,
2: through their system. Okay. Exactly. If you've and, been and,
1: listening, then you know that this is a huge concept. Systems are a big concept, and if you're applying this to the work environment, it might be good to step back and
3: mm-hmm.
1: look at the system that you're a part of right. and see what your role in that is. But yeah, emotions, I mean, systems actually can be codependent on each right. other, workplaces, right. organizations.
2: So so when I'm only tuned in to what you feel, mm-hmm. your anger, your depression, your whatever it is, mm-hmm. and That's I true. lose track of what I feel,
1: mm-hmm.
2: then you're controlling me. Wow. And I need, and, and if you're down, and I don't want to be down, I need you to get up in order <laughs> for me to feel up. Yes. And so then my my happiness, my emotional health is dependent on how you feel mm-hmm. and how you, what you do, what you don't do, what you say. And, and so so then I'm depending on you to be okay with me.
1: One of the measures of emotional intelligence and it's in the interpersonal realm mm-hmm. is independence.
2: Absolutely. And
1: um, I think that's a way to take the opposite of codependence and frame it in a positive right. way. But some of the signs that they give that you're not dependent is that you, you're afraid to make decisions
3: hmm. because
1: you're you're waiting always waiting on someone to affirm your decision or to tell you that it's okay. You don't right. have that inner sense, I think, of self to build, to, right. to, to give you that gut instinct to go ahead, or you right. want to wait on everybody to kind of come alongside you and do it as a group. So that could be a sign of a little bit of codependency absolutely. within the group that nobody wants to move forward without everybody else or nobody will step apart and speak to something honestly.
2: So many people use the word codependent, but they don't understand what it means. Yeah. And, and the word I'd prefer to use is self differentiated.
1: Ah, that's good.
2: So that I'm not defining me in relationship to you. I'm defining me in relationship to what my, me and the heavenly father have defined me as.
1: And that's harder to get to than, most oh, than you absolutely. would think. It seems like it should just be a natural part. Of growing up but the system that we grow up in either allows that differentiation mm-hmm. or does not allow it.
2: I would argue that many families teach their, many parents need their kids to be dependent on them mm. and they don't, they don't nurture those kids to become independent, self-thinking, self-sufficient, autonomous adults Yeah, and release them to live <laughs> lives separate and distinct from my control and my influence.
1: Which is what the goal of parenting really Absolutely.
2: is. Absolutely. From the moment of our conception, our objective is independence and autonomy. Mm. Our job is to get away from mom. Yes. And, and we want our kids to go out and be self-sufficient. But that's the cause of so much drama yes. in families around the holiday times. Wow. Because kids that are young adults now that are married, they go back and they get sucked up into all the drama mm-hmm. of the family system that they thought they were free from.
1: And they feel like kids again. Absolutely. And that's very unpleasant. Absolutely. So that was that's a way that you could step back and go, okay, I'm not gonna respond in the same way I always did. I'm gonna respond right. differently and force the system to adapt to who I really am now.
2: And, and and by by going, by by thinking, okay, what do I believe about this versus what did dad believe? Yeah. Dad can have his own feelings and opinions. Yeah. And I can have mine, and I can still love him and accept him. And hopefully he'll love and accept me if I have a different perspective.
3: Yeah, right.
2: But I have to choose to either go along with him, and be enmeshed
1: Yes.
3: Or overly
2: controlled and connected.
1: And lose lose myself. Lose myself
2: exactly. Then my identity's gone.
1: And you you can't. You, I've you'll become be an
2: extension of him.
1: Yes. So important. That's really important for I think adults. Absolutely. To cross that bridge as they get older.
2: So parents can help their kids by asking them, "What do you think? What do you feel?"
1: Yeah. Not overriding them in discussions. I think sometimes parents can be so fearful that their kids are going to believe the wrong things. I think, especially when it comes Mm -hmm. to God and the Bible and they have theological or existential questions, that it's almost like we don't let them express those opinions because they're not because they're scary to us. They're not actually scary to God.
2: Right. They're scary to us. Because they create all kinds of emotions. Yeah. And in order to calm that anxiety down, we have to get that kid to do and believe and say and act like we want them to do
1: that's a tough discipline to not exactly because the instinct is to pull it's like pulling your kid back from a cliff right you're doing it out of love and concern like you said anxiety you think it's love but it's you really have to let them right i think what kids are showing you sometimes is i'm ready to to, i I could be ready to really follow god but i have to do it
2: right to be the the, the tension in every family is is a is a sense of togetherness in a sense of individuality.
3: Mm.
2: As a part of the Weems family, there are certain values and beliefs and behaviors that are expected. If you're gonna be a part of the Weems family, this is what you do, this is what you believe, family this is identity. how we, that exactly. But within, the every, within every one of your kids, there's also a God-given drive for independence, autonomy, and individuality. Yeah. That creates a tremendous amount of pressure and tension.
1: Yes.
2: And so will we as parents release them into their own identity as God works in their lives, are we gonna restrict them?
1: So hard to do, so, I mean, you just even if you know it here, it's so hard for your heart. And so much like of it.
2: adolescent rebellion is an attempt to self-eject from a controlling environment.
1: Mm-hmm. When I realized that, it took so much of the internal drama away from the teenage years. And thankfully, I realized it with my oldest daughter. I just realized, if, if they're crying out for you know nothing unsafe or un
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know you know immoral or unethical whatever right. but if they're if they want to dye their hair red or wear something mm-hmm. that I don't mm-hmm. like or pierce their nose and that's what they're doing to and, and they're trying to establish an autonomous identity from us I actually think not majoring on that is a good thing to do. But
2: when I was coming up, our gen- my generation did the same thing. Yeah. We wore t-shirts with the sleeves rolled up and a cigarette pack in the seat. Oh, rebellious. <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad, but you know, you know that, that kind of Every thing. generation has its It Because it's a part of that normal transition <clears throat> and that struggle between independence, individuality, and togetherness.
1: And if you don't have that sense of individuation, when you come into your other systems, the workplace, the church, small groups, whatever your other system is, you could very much lose you may, maybe can draw on the group to tell you how you feel.
2: Right, you need that group to define you because you never learned to define yourself in the first place.
1: Exactly, so that's how emotional self-awareness, another way that it can get mm-hmm. lost, besides just not being able to really identify it, you could so over-identify with your group. And I think sometimes that can lead to over-identifying with your accomplishments, over-identifying with mm-hmm. the groups, how it's doing, or right. like, do we meet our goals this year? Just depending on the person, that can take yeah. a lot of forms. So if you're a person that is you're, you're realizing, okay, I'm over-identifying with a group and I need to isolate my emotions. Can you give a, te- a really quick technique where they could do that? How they could start to pull, up, pull apart?
2: Pay attention and acknowledge and admit your own feelings. Mm-hmm. Describe them and, and, and tell yourself that you're not feeling crazy because you have to think and feel like that.
1: Yes, you have to be able to validate your own feelings mm-hmm. sometimes.
2: And, and and you have to be able to take that to the Father. Yes. To the Heavenly Father and and, and and listen to what He's saying to us. Listen to what He's saying to you about you.
1: Yes, that is a really and God I feel like we forget that we can do that. Mm-hmm. That God is always willing. He's always there. He wants to talk to us about our identity. He wants to speak kind words over us. He wants to give us wisdom through the Holy Spirit. And we sometimes I think forget we that we, we forget to remember that we can go do that, you right, know, and right. and find peace that way. So I think a lot of times when people are um, going back to the idea of stuffing your emotions, it seems like stuffers that people will say, you stuff and stuff and stuff and then you explode. Right. That's the exactly. typical trope. Right. But really there is usually a process leading up to the explosion when I mean, you're not sitting there eating a sandwich and then all of a sudden, bam! Right. There's usually some physical signs or other signs that people maybe aren't in tune with that are happening that, and then what everybody else sees is the explosion. What are some internal signals that people can look for to become more aware of what their their state of their own emotions,
2: feeling stressed, feeling confused, um, just just paying attention to what the other emotional signs are. Am I feeling like I just don't want to say something to them? Mm-hmm. Do I feel overpowered by them? Mm-hmm. Do I feel weak around them? Um, do I feel pressure from, from in that situation? Sometimes
1: when I get, um, I've noticed that I'll have like my, I'll sweat a little bit. Like the back of my neck will get hot. Sure. or I'll start ha- have a like I'll have a I'll start. Uh, clenching my hands together or picking up my nails, little habits, like mm-hmm. I would call them tics that I have when I start feeling stressed out or my emotions are rising. And if um, I'm trying to become aware of those little physical signs as well. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, also withdrawing. When I start to feel emotionally mm-hmm. overpowered, I'll sort of just withdraw because I don't want to feel overpowered, but maybe I don't have the internal assertiveness or sense of self to feel right. like I can stand up to that. So right. I've had to learn, like, hey, what's missing here? Why, won't I not, why right. will I not be honest about this? Why won't I say, no, I really, why, am, why is it so afraid to say, to say, I really need you by my side during this time? Or
2: Part of it, just being able to engage that situation and that person in an open-ended manner mm-hmm. without feeling the need to have to direct it and control it.
1: Yes, that's so good. Just to be able to, let, to, it be able be to let it be what it is. Just to be able to let it be what it
2: is, exactly.
1: And that's so good. And that leads to, really, my closing question here is, um, Noticing, emotional intelligence is also about noticing the impact that your emotions have on other people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're in so much in those strength and in the hurricane of our own emotions that we aren't really noticing the impact they're having on people. I think this is especially true when it comes to kids. Mm-hmm. Because kids, we forget what it's like to be little and your parents seem giant to you and their emotions are already very powerful. And then if we give our emotions free reign, in the context of small children and even teenagers, it's it can be extremely heavy for them. Right. But what are some things that we can look at? Things we could be attentive to, um, to understand or be attuned to the impact our emotions are having on other people.
2: Pay attention to the nonverbal body language okay. of the other person. Are they are they showing signs of their eyes glassing over? Mm. Are there is is there any any sense of their, you know, facial expressions that mm-hmm. are that are showing Anger or resistance or or whatever, um, you know, walking away or even you know then then when you have a conversation in the tone of voice, the words yeah. are used, and and just all of those, just paying attention to to the person,
1: yeah.
2: and and getting out of your own your own whatever process, you're trying,
1: yeah. Exactly. You're, and whether you're trying to prove a point right. or you're just trying to make to be you know make them do what you want them to do. I notice that glassing over with the eyes is real common for teenagers. Mm-hmm. How can you, if you realize that, how can you sort of stop the momentum that you've got and get, engage them again? What are some things?
2: Part of that is just, it, it, it sounds so simplistic, just simply say, okay, wait a minute, this isn't going nowhere. Yeah. I'm not gonna make, I can't make them hear me or do this. Yeah. And I have to be able to be okay with the fact that at the moment, I'm not going to accomplish this mm-hmm. expectate, expected outcome. Yes happen, mm-hmm. and then back away from what is the power struggle. Yeah. Because, is it
1: really about this, or is there something else going on? Right. Or, is it, if it's really about this, then probably... If, usually if the power struggle is about a thing, it's more easily solved than if it's about a dynamic.
2: Yes, but the dynamics are also ways in which we, we, we get into power struggles. Yeah. Because there's this this whole dynamic closeness and distance, and then there's the other dimension of. How do we exert and influence other people, Mm -hmm. exert power or respond to it? Wow, yeah. And all of that then affects this.
1: Yes, so complex, but also... So then
2: systemically we become much more complicated.
1: Yeah. But but it's very
2: simple to follow that in a sense.
1: And and, and again, we talked about this at the beginning, but so much of just of influencing the way that those systems work and whether that's a work or a home system or a church system, it starts with you being aware Mm -hmm. of how you're feeling why you're feeling that way? How you're expressing it? Mm-hmm. Um, are you playing into the expected role that you always do? Or are you able to step apart from it? And when you can change yourself, you can change your environment because right. they. And that's the beauty of things being connected. Right. It's not just because people. It's not because people are looking at you and going, "Oh, look what a emotionally aware, self controlled person this right. is." It's because literally your change forces change in the systems around you, which is incredible.
2: And so my behavior impacts you. And if you're having an emotional whatever, then I got to stop and say, okay, what, in what way am I a trigger for her?
1: Yeah. And asking, and acknowledging that you can exactly. be, we're not exactly. perfect. You could be a trigger for somebody I, else. Okay. What
2: I said was wrong. It was inappropriate. It was critical, judgmental and rejecting and harsh. <laughs> yes. So I can understand why she would be angry Absolutely. or he would be wanting to punch me back.
1: Yeah. Wow. And I could honestly, I could honestly, as you can see, go on and talk about this sort of thing is so fascinating to me. I'm getting my, um, Master's degree, leader, and the psychology of leadership. Okay. Um, from Penn State right now, and it is a lot. There's a whole lot of this that is in the textbooks that I read, and that systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would call it systems theory.
3: Right. Uh, exactly.
1: It does. It comes into place not only in our family, but in our in our workplace, and we do bring our filters from our family of origin into our workplace. You can't mm-hmm. shut them down. So being aware of those is a big part of. Uh, emotional awareness. Absolutely. Bob, thank you so much for being with us. You have thank given you. me so much to think about, and I'm sure our viewers and listeners feel the same way, and we'd love to have you back again and okay. talk about some other things. So uh, that's really all we have. I hope, I know, if you, I'm sure you enjoyed Bob being here with us and shared so much with us and got a lot of thought-provoking things to do, but I just, I'd love to end with something really actionable for you. So I'm going to recount a couple of things. If you want to grow in emotional self-awareness, First of all, learn how to stop. Don't jump into your don't don't jump into your emotional response. Learn how to stop for a second, pause. Another thing that you can do that's very practical is learn how to go beyond the five sad, mad, bad, glad, and afraid words and increase your emotional vocabulary. Sometimes just having a different way to frame out your feelings gives you a little bit more um, control over them. And then another thing you can do is you can um, be very aware of. What's going on in your body? What are your, when you start having negative emotions, what are your typical responses? Do you tend to lean back? Do you tend to cross your arms? Does your heart beat? What are the things that signify that your emotions are getting hotter, that they're rising? And then how can you determine the effect that your emotions are having on other people? And that's really about just being attentive, being a good listener, um, being present in the moment and watching, are their eyes glazing over? Are they backing up from you? Um, Because good leaders, and healthy people, and people who uh, have healthy families, these are skills that they learn. And it's good that these are skills they are not things you're born with. They actually are skills that you learn, and emotional self-awareness is a skill that you can learn. I learned it. I know that you can learn it, too. I really hope that you've enjoyed our time together today. And um, I just want to remind you that if you did not get the self-regard worksheets from last week, Go to the link in the bio and download them. You can still work through them and um, keep following me on Facebook and Twitter. You can watch um, the podcast, the Carrie Wings podcast playlist on YouTube. Um, you can go to my blog. You can subscribe to my um, podcast at my blog, CarrieWeems.com. You don't want to miss any of the material that we release. We're always releasing new content and. I hope you'll join me again next week. We're going to be talking about self-actualization, which is an exciting topic about motivation and making your mark on the world. And we have a very special surprise guest joining us. That's it for now. I hope you have a great week. See you next time.
0: Hey, thanks again for joining us here at the Carrie Weems Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to share it with your friends and followers on social media. And don't forget, one of the best ways you can help us get the word out is to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It's a simple and easy way that you can help us spread the word about the great teaching that Carrie has been sharing. Plus, if you would like Carrie to answer one of your questions in an upcoming episode, we would love to hear them. All you have to do is email them to us at info at Don't forget to follow on social media to stay up to date on all the latest resources that are releasing on Instagram and Twitter at Carrie Weems, or you can find Carrie on Facebook as well. And of course, for a full list of all the available books and resources, just visit kerryweems.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.